Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Myers. You can check me out at liveto110.com. And I'm going to be talking today with Dr. Leo Galland, author of The Allergy Solution, about all the underlying causes of your allergies and how you can heal yourself from allergies by healing your immune system and your gut. We also talk about how obesity, the obesity crisis is in part caused by allergies and how a lot of diagnoses or misdiagnoses are actually allergies when people have fibromyalgia and pain, arthritis, obesity, and other types of diagnoses that allergies can be playing a major role in contributing to those symptoms. So very good podcast today. Please keep in mind that this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. The Live to 110 podcast is solely informational in nature, so please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in anything that we suggest today on the show. And I have had a fantastic week. I published my first book called uh, Limitless Energy how to detox uh, toxic metals to end exhaustion and chronic fatigue. So it's kind of a long title. <laughs> I have trouble getting it out. But you can buy it for pre-sale on Amazon, and that'll be officially uh, being published on April 29th, 2017. But you can buy it right now for pre-order. And it's all about talking about the toxic metals that contribute to mitochondrial dysfunction. And a lot of people today are exhausted. I know I was for many, many years and try to go down different paths, you know, healing my adrenal glands and healing my thyroid and working on my diet and focusing on sleep and taking the right supplements and all this stuff. But detoxification is a huge piece of the puzzle. If you're doing all those things and you're still feeling really sluggish and you're still feeling really tired or even suffer from chronic fatigue syndrome, you've got to address these toxic metals that cause fatigue. Um, arsenic, aluminum, tin, thallium, cesium is a big problem in the environment because of the Fukushima fallout in the Pacific. So if you eat a lot of sushi, like I did for many years, uh, you could have a big problem with cesium toxicity. And a lot of these metals will poison enzymes that actually transport nutrients into mitochondria, therefore, you know, causing them to not produce enough energy or ATP. So I talk about all those specific metals in the book and how to detox them. A lot of stuff you guys have heard on the show if you've been regular listeners. So go check that out on Amazon. Our guest today is Dr. Leo Galland, MD. He's a board-certified internist and is recognized as a world leader in integrative medicine. Educated at Harvard University and NYU School of Medicine, he won the Linus Pauling Award for his trailblazing vision that created a new way to practice medicine for thousands of doctors. Dr. Galland has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Self, and Men's Fitness Magazine, and has appeared on the Today Show, Good Morning America, The Dr. Oz Show, PBS, CNN, and Fox. He is co-author of The Allergy Solution, Unlock the Surprising Hidden Truth About Why You Are Sick and How to Get Well with his son, Jonathan Gallon. Join his natural health community at drgallon.com and at facebook.com slash leogallonmd. Dr. Gallon, thank you so much for coming on the Live to 110 podcast. It's great to be talking to you today. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? 
Well, you know, I'm an internist. That's a special a specialist in internal medicine. I've been in practice for a few decades. I trained at Bellevue Hospital, NYU School of Medicine, and for oh about 35 years or a little bit more, I've um, treated patients who have complex problems that have not been helped by seeing a lot of other practitioners and um, by seeing all sorts of conventional specialists. And so I've developed an approach to dealing with healthcare that tries to focus on the needs of the individual person rather than just categorizing the disease and treating that. And it's an attempt to um, create a dynamic model of what's relevant at any given point in time to the health of any individual. And then we try to work it through looking for um, factors, and it's always multifactorial, that are contributing to their health problems. Now, along the way, I've treated many, many patients with allergies and allergic illnesses. For some of these people, they, some, it was clear that they had allergies and they came to me because they had asthma or eczema. But for many of them, they didn't know they had allergies until I started working with them. They had problems like chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or migraine headaches or arthritis. Some of them had been given other diagnoses. That is, they were told, oh, you have rheumatoid arthritis. But in fact, what they really had was an allergic arthritis. And uh, so I've developed methods to try and help people understand the role that allergy is playing in their health problems and what to do about it. Yeah, you have a new book out called The Allergy Solution. Um, It's a bestseller. Can you talk to us a little bit about the concepts that you lay out in your book? Um, sure. I'm happy. I love to talk about it. The, um, the main, there are actually several, several principles, but the main one is why are you allergic and why is there an epidemic of allergies that is sweeping the world? Now it's important for an individual to be able to identify whether the symptoms that are troubling them or the diseases that they've been told they have have an allergic basis and to understand out what allergy is. And and I spend some time in the allergy solution, helping people identify whether their problems are allergic and what the nature of their allergies are. In particular, what are the triggers and what are the mechanisms for allergy? But the more, the really more profound question is why are you allergic? And what can you do to help correct allergies so that you don't respond in an allergic fashion the way that you did before your self-treatment started. Yeah, because the approach a lot of people take is or think that they need to do is to avoid the foods or avoid the allergen if possible. And can you tell us why that's not a long-term solution? You want to address the underlying root cause of why your immune system is overreacting? Right. Well, avoidance by itself doesn't eliminate allergies, but it can control symptoms. And I mean, it's not that avoidance is necessarily a bad idea. It depends on how extreme the avoidance has to be. For um, 
you know, for people who have an undiagnosed chronic illness with an allergic basis and the allergies have not been previously identified, and if there are triggers that can be removed, like a food, for example, the response to removing a food to which you're allergic on a chronic disease can be really dramatic. It's probably the most dramatic natural reaction uh, or the most dramatic reaction to a natural therapy that I've ever seen. Uh, so it is something that I advocate, especially in the, uh, at the beginning stages, because someone can get to feel much better very quickly. And I have a section in the allergy solution. It's called the power wash and a follow-up section um, called re-entry and the immune balance diet, which help people identify the role that food allergies are playing in their illness. The problem is I see a lot of people who are allergic to so many foods that it's hard for them to be well-nourished on the diet they need to follow. And with environmental allergies, it can be really difficult to control environmental exposures. So people tend to rely on drugs to suppress symptoms, which don't help. They, re they may relieve symptoms, they have side effects, short-term and long-term, and they don't really correct the situation. So there's a lot to be said for trying to get to the roots of allergy and treat allergy where it starts in your immune system. Improve immune function, balance it better, so not only will it help with allergies, it'll help you with other aspects of your health. Yes, that's what I was getting at where, you know, you want to long-term address healing your overreactive immune system uh, so that you don't always have to avoid foods to which you develop allergies or sensitivities to. Right. And right. That's, that's really an important point. And the thing is that the factors that are creating this epidemic of allergies in the world, I mean, there are billion people with allergic diseases now. It, those factors are contributing to other diseases and illnesses. And if you, and so to some extent, having allergies is what allows you to be the canary in the coal mine, to know that there's something toxic that's happening and, that, and, and to give you the clues that you need in order to make fundamental changes. So when you start eliminating the toxic exposures and the nutritional deficits that interfere with detoxification and your allergies improve, you are helping your body in multiple ways, not just relieving the symptoms of allergy. So we're seeing a huge epidemic of allergies, especially in young children. And it's, this is unprecedented. It was not like this in the 80s. And it has been in, in, you know, increasing steadily the epidemic of allergies since the 1990s and going up and up and up. Why is that? Um, well, there's several factors. And um, I, I actually like to go back even further in looking at the history of this, because the concept of hay fever did not exist before the middle of the 19th century. That is, the idea that you could have seasonal um, sneezing. Um, that just, that didn't exist in the world. There was no such thing. It started to increase during the 19th century 
started to become noticed in the 20, in the early 20th century, was still considered pretty rare. Um, I think we can trace it to industrial pollution as an important factor in initiating that part of the allergy epidemic. Second phase of the allergy epidemic probably is best characterized by asthma, which started to reach epidemic proportions in the 1960s. It was associated with time spent indoors and increasing indoor air pollution. Factors like um, formaldehyde that's used in glued wood products, the very strong correlation with asthma, for example. Um, the food allergy epidemic is the third wave. And that really did start to take off in the 1990s, as you pointed out. Between, say, 1995 and 2010, the um, prevalence of food allergies in children in the U.S. and the U.K. tripled. I mean, that's an astonishing rise. Now, that probably has to do with changes in the bacteria living in our bodies. Uh, this the bacterial communities that populate our bodies have gotten a lot of uh, publicity lately. They're, um, they're called the microbiome. And there have been progressive changes in the human microbiome, especially in the gut, but also in other parts of the body on the skin and the respiratory tract. And these are associated with, the, in particular, the food allergy epidemic. So it's been layer after layer of yeah. environmental factors. Do you feel that the introduction of genetically modified foods in the 1990s play a role in the increased prevalence of allergies and asthma? Oh, yeah, I definitely do think that GMO foods play a role. But I, I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily the genetic modification of the food in a direct way. The reason that they make GMO foods, especially in industrialized countries is to make them resistant to pesticides um, and, and herbicides. So Monsanto um, is the pioneer, if you can use that term. Uh, they're the Darth Vader of pioneers in this area. <laughs> Evil. And, uh, right. And, and, uh, you know, and so they've developed um, soybeans, for example, and other foods that are resistant to the effects of Roundup, uh, glyphosate. Now, glyphosate is an herbicide. If, you have, if you're growing crops that are genetically modified to resist glyphosate, then that enables an industrial approach to agriculture. You can do aerial spraying or machine spraying with glyphosate of the whole of field after field. All the weeds die, but the crops that are glyphosate resistant survive, and those are the ones that you want to harvest. The problem is when you harvest those crops, you, they're all contaminated with glyphosate. So people who are eating these genetically modified foods are now ingesting the herbicides, which have antibiotic effects that, um, that those foods are contaminated with. And those impact on the bacteria in your gut. There have been studies done that have shown that exposure, that if you take chickens, for example, and expose them, expose them to glyphosate, they develop the kind of gut bacterial imbalances that are found in people with allergies and other types of inflammation. Yes, that leads to my next question, is that allergies 
uh, you pose start in the gut. And we're hearing a lot these days that the majority of your immune system, even up to 90%, is found in your gut. And so what role does the gut play in uh, predisposing one to allergies or causing allergies? Yeah. Yeah, the gut plays a really important role. It's probably about 70% of the, of the cells in your immune system are found in the lining of the small intestine. And they, um, the bacteria that live in the small intestine create a kind of a boot camp for your immune system. They train your back, the, your immune cells that are there to react in a particular way. These cells then enter your bloodstream. They travel throughout your body where they communicate messages to other parts of your immune system and then return to your gut. And the gut really plays a primary role in allergies and many inflammatory disorders, even ones that are not directly allergic. And it happens because the dysregulation of immune function that occurs because of a disrupted gut microbiome um, impairs normal immune balance. So there are cells that prevent immune responses from getting out of hand. They're called regulatory T cells or T regs. And uh, the gut is an important source of T regs. And the bacteria in your gut are very important in the development of T reg cells. I, and I go into that in uh, quite a bit of detail in the allergy solution. But there are other factors that, that work together with the bacteria, uh, nutritional and dietary factors that enhance regulatory T cell activity, which then help to downregulate allergy. So there, there's a multi-pronged approach in the allergy solution, which includes improving nutrition, especially enhancing your consumption of those nutrients that help T regs to function, balancing your gut flora and Diet has a huge impact on that, and we can talk about the dietary factors that are important. Enhancing detoxification, that brings us back to nutritional factors, and avoiding as much as you can environmental toxins, indoors especially, where you have the greatest level of control. And let's talk about leaky gut and that role in what it plays in allergies. So can you tell us what leaky gut is and how that contributes to the immune system malfunctioning and reacting to foods and allergens? Sure, sure. Your, um, your gut is a barrier, just the way that your skin is a barrier. You know, your skin is a barrier to the outside world. Well, the lining of your gut is a barrier to the 100 trillion bacteria that live there, um, bacteria that come in from food, toxins that come in from food, undigested protein. And that barrier, barrier is created by the lining cells, and that's just one cell thick. It's a microscopic barrier. The mucus that covers it, some of the antibodies that are found in the mucus, and then the immune system that underlies that lining. Their function is to sample whatever is in your gut environment um, 
educate the rest of the immune system, allow nutrients to, that you need to come in, and keep whatever toxins that can be excluded out. And among those toxins are whole bacteria and large food proteins that are especially allergenic. Now, with leaky gut, there's a breakdown in that barrier. And undesirable substances are able to sneak in mostly between the cells. If my fingers represent the cells that line your gut, normal absorption for the most part is through the cell. With leaky gut, the cells are not glued so tightly together and molecules are able to enter your body between the cells. Now, there are many factors that can contribute to leaky gut, but one of the most important factors for preventing that are the bacteria that normally live in your gut. Lactobacilli and bifidobacteria in particular play an important role in maintaining normal integrity of the gut lining and preventing leakiness. Great. Yeah, and that's a huge problem with all the clients that I work with, and there's, there's such a plethora of information about leaky gut in the blogosphere because it's a huge problem. There's so many things working against our gut function and gut bacteria. So it's yeah. not surprising. So many people have allergies and food sensitivities and the like. So you talked about toxins. I talk a lot about on the show about toxins and detoxification and how they affect our health. So what can people do about all the toxins in their daily life that are contributing to allergies? You also talk in your book about mission detoxable. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Right. Okay. Well, yeah, mission detoxable is a chapter in the allergy solution. And um, a lot of that information was gathered by my son, Jonathan, who's the co-author and who loves to talk about that area. He came up with fascinating studies. The, um, the first thing that you can do is kind of is take check of your environment. I mean, the environment that you can't control is toxic enough. You know, there's automotive pollution, which plays a major role in allergy even more so than industrial pollution. There are things going on outdoors that you can't control. Your home should be a sanctuary, um, not only a, an emotional and spiritual sanctuary, but a chemical sanctuary. Don't import toxins into your home. You don't have to. Now, there are at least 100,000 chemicals that we bring into our homes with unknowingly so you need knowledge to avoid those. Uh, chief on the list is formaldehyde, um, which is an irritant, a carcinogen, and a major factor in allergy. Um, the, and you know, their sor sources of formaldehyde include particle board and pressed wood and any kind of glued wood products. There's been a dramatic increase in the, in the levels of formaldehyde in home air over the past 40 to 50 years. And it's mostly due to the kinds of, uh, to furnishings and cleaning products and things like that and building materials. So to the extent that you can avoid the use of formaldehyde containing products, uh, the better. And if you do have things that are made of particle board or, or pressed wood, um, and people do have them because frankly they're cheaper, Make sure that they're sealed all the way around. I've seen a lot of these products that 
are sealed with a laminate on the side that you see, but the side that you don't see is just exposed to the air. Temperature and humidity causes the glue to break down and release formaldehyde. Um, so substances like that, uh, new clothing and new fabrics are stiffened with formaldehyde, allow them to off gas or wash them if they're washable to get it out. Keep those out of your home. Um, the um, agents that are used as um, uh, to prevent infection, things like triclosan and other antiseptics that are in personal care products, very dangerous, play a major role in contributing not only to allergy, but to infection, even though they're supposed to prevent infection. You know, use natural products and don't bring that stuff into your home. We have, an, we have a, a checklist of things that you can do very simply, and you can start doing right away to decrease your toxic exposures at home. Uh, the other side of the coin though is, uh, and of course it's important to decrease the, the exposures because they're unnecessary, but to start building up those nutrients that help your body detoxify and get rid of the toxins. Yeah, I think that the uh, household cleaner manufacturers have really done a number on people's psych and trying to promote and sell their household cleaning products like Lysol, uh, like triclosan-containing products and the like, and trying to convince people that germs are really, really bad and they need to be destroyed and killed Oh, but the chemicals are okay and completely safe. Right. Like you, people need to be chemical phobes, not germ phobes. And yes, I'm talking to the germ phobes out there. You have it completely backwards. <laughs> You've got mm -hmm. to be worried, very, very worried about all these chemicals you're bringing home and introducing in the form of uh, perfumes and laundry detergents and fragrances in our personal care products. Yeah, and right. The fragrances are really important. So, you know, there was this amazing study done at the University of Washington where um, they sampled the air coming out of a dryer, like, you know, regular home dryer, and they put those um, fragrance strips into the dryer that people are using. The dryer sheets? The, oh. the dryer sheets. Oh, yeah. I hate those. I, I mean, the, the chemicals that came out of that were, I mean, it was, you know, hundreds of toxic chemicals coming out of that. Sometimes when I'm walking on the street in New York City, you know, some of the apartment houses have laundry rooms in the basement that vent to the outside air. I, got, I have to cross the street. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think people don't realize the dryer sheets are probably some of the most toxic chemicals, besides bleach maybe, that they're mm. putting in their home. It, it's just crazy. And then their, their sheets smell like it and their clothing and they're just breathing that in. Right. I actually don't allow people in my home if they're wearing perfume mm. or plagued with dryer sheet chemicals in their clothing. <laughs> we tried that. It doesn't always work. No, it doesn't. I, some people are so unconscious. Yeah. of um, of the fragrances, the artificial fragrances, you know, that they're exposed to. Um, they don't, they don't, you know, they, they don't even notice them anymore. And that, that work at the University of Washington, what was really interesting, even, or second aspect of it, was the researcher that did it um, was unable to get funding in this country after the initial study was published and had to move to Australia to continue her research. The, the, um, the industry that's involved with artificial scents is so strong. I mean, there's so many lobbies that um, these chemical industries have. It's really hard to get 
um, research done here in the U.S.? Yeah, it, it's really, really sad because the pharmaceutical companies and the, the big industry people, you know, Johnson & Johnson and these other companies that make these very toxic products that are making us sick, they have a lot of power. And like so they do suppress right. university research. Yeah. And, it, and of course, it's only going to get worse over the next few years because restrictions, uh, government restrictions on industry are going to be pulled back significantly. Yeah. Not that they've been strong enough to begin with. So just there, what is lacking is a sense of responsibility to the society and the environment. Yeah. But the problem is also consumers. They're not educated and they want products that smell good. They <laughs> right. buy products yes. that last for five mm -hmm. years on the shelves that have parabens and other preservatives. And they, they want those sudsy shampoos that have the, the, you know, other toxic chemicals that make them have a rich lather and, and on and on and on the other. Right. But features. there is a lot of brainwashing yes. that has created that generation of consumers. Absolutely. Yeah. And so let's talk about diet. Uh, in your book, you pose that fast food causes allergies. I love that. So can you explain that to us? Right. Well, fast food um, causes allergies by at least two mechanisms, maybe three. Um, one is it has a real disrupting effect on the gut microbes. And, um, you know, the, the microbes in your gut, they're like a, a hundred trillion perhaps, and there are maybe a thousand species. What really creates health there is the diversity of microbes. It's a phenomenon of biodiversity. And I compare it to a rainforest because it is very much like a rainforest. Health in almost any environment is supported by biodiversity. And when that diversity of organisms starts to diminish, that's usually associated with damage to the environment and it tends to snowball. So just looking at, and, and diversity of microbes in the gut protects against allergy, even more so than any specific one microbe. So there was this really interesting single case study um, that uh, I talk about in the PBS special. It's not mentioned in the book because it actually came out after um, I'd, I'd finished writing the book. Um, but there's a public television show on the allergy solution, which still airs during the, the pledge seasons, um, started airing last uh, June. And um, there's an, a researcher in the UK who's writing a book about um, the effect of, um, of diet on health. And he's a geneticist, actually. Um, but he was, he was working with colleagues who were looking at the microbiome. And he decided to do an experiment. And he got his son, a college student, to do it. Uh, he told his son that for a week, he, would, he could eat all the, all the meals he wanted at McDonald's. And he would pay for them. Um, and so this kid was really psyched. All his friends were jealous. He ate three meals a day. It was kind of like super size me. And uh, the first few days he felt okay. By the end of the week, he was feeling awful. Um, his father had one condition that he had to check, his, um, collect a specimen from gut microbiome check before this week and at the end of the week. In the course of just a week, 
he lost 50% of the bacterial species in his gut Wow! by taking all his meals at McDonald's. Wow. So fast food just depletes back the beneficial bacteria. It doesn't feed them. One of the reasons it doesn't feed them is it's low in fiber and those bacteria really need fiber. And the other reason probably has to do with these chemicals in food, foods called polyphenols, of which the main ones are the uh, bioflavonoids. It turns out, and I've, I've been a big fan of bioflavonoids for 30 years, turns out that flavonoids, aside from all the other good things they do, which I'll talk about in a minute, also kind of act like conductors or growth promoters to the gut microbes, and they help encourage diversity and growth of beneficial um, gut bacteria. Um, and I'm, it's an area that I'm actively researching now because I think there's specific types of, um, of flavonoids found in specific fruits in particular that, um, that have especially potent effects. Uh, fruits like pomegranate and cranberry and blueberry. And, and so there's, this is an area of hot ongoing research. Um, so that's one impact of, of, the, um, of a fast food diet. The other is just the lack of nutrients that are needed for immune balance. Flavonoids are very important there because of their direct effects on immunity. Um, but there are also other nutrients, magnesium in particular a very important anti-allergic, anti-inflammatory nutrient tends to be really low on a fast food diet. And omega-3 fats, the kind that are found in, um, in healthy cold water fish or flaxseed and chia seed. Uh, so in the allergy solution, we put together a dietary program that does two things. Number one, it allows you to identify what foods you need to avoid because they don't have those foods don't have a good effect on your body, even if they might be healthy for somebody else. And num um, no, actually three things. Number two, two is to eliminate those food components that are toxic to your body and that deplete beneficial bacteria. And number three, to nourish your cells and your gut microbes with specific foods that are especially good for encouraging the function of Treg cells and encouraging bacterial diversity in your gut. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that because I suffered from allergies, really bad allergies as a child and a teenager. And my diet consisted of fast food and sugar. So uh, no big surprise there. And you know, I always thought, oh, I just outgrew the allergies. No, I started eating more uh, healthy foods and vegetables beginning in high school and uh, just caring more about my diet and my body. And I think I outgrew them because my, my gut bacteria probably repaired. That's the great news. That is, you can turn it around. None of this is written in stone. Uh, we have the ability with a little bit of education and, the, and making the right choices to totally reverse the immune imbalance that underlies allergic disorders. I mean, I lived on allergy medications as a teen. I mean, every single day yeah. I took them and I, I was falling asleep on my desk 
Uh, I, I really, unfortunately, high school was just this haze for me because I was on Benadryl every single day. And so I always wondered if taking them on a daily basis really had some sort of health consequence. What are some of the problems that you found with using allergy medications long term? Um, well, first of all, they don't treat the condition. All they do is suppress the symptoms or some of the symptoms. There, you know, there's been some data looking at the effects of Benadryl in particular um, and other antihistamines um, that are that enter into the brain on cognitive function. And there's an increased risk of cognitive decline with age associated with the use of allergy meds. Uh, but the antihistamines are not the only problem meds for um, that contri are contributing to these allergy this allergy epidemic. I think among the most toxic drugs that are widely used and available over the counter are the acid suppressant drugs like Prilosec, Omeprazole, and other drugs that are used for treating heartburn. That's a slow um, death or a slow yeah. death by malnutrition. Yeah. But, you know, they do so many adverse things to your body. And I mean, I've been railing against them for 25 years, probably 20 years that they've been around. And um, and for the longest time, you couldn't get any mainstream uh, docs to say, oh, there's any problem with these. That's changed a lot over the past several years because the scientific data has just become undeniable. They increase the rate of fractures and osteoporosis. They may contribute to cognitive decline. They cause malnutrition, especially for vitamin B12, which may have something to do with the cognitive decline. They um, increase your risk of pneumonia of, and of various types of gut infections, some of them really serious. And with regard to allergy, they actually contribute to allergies and to weight gain. Mm. Um, and um, and yeah, the, the allergy connection has been very well studied. The allergy connection may explain the weight gain that's associated with their use. But one of the things that helps to make food not allergenic is the acid in your stomach that um, starts to break down the protein. You suppress that and the protein that you eat and medications that you take become much more likely to cause allergies. There's a study done in the hospital where people taking these acid suppressors were three times as likely to experience an allergic reaction to medication in the hospital as people not taking acid suppressors. Hmm. Um, and the level of allergic antibodies to foods increases dramatically if you've been on these um, uh, these drugs called proton pump inhibitors for at least four weeks. Wow, that's very, very interesting. There's also some uh, toxic metals like mercury and arsenic that are also working as proton pump inhibitors. So I guess that could indirectly mm. contribute to allergies as well. Interesting. Oh, yeah. they Well, they definitely do play a role in allergy. I, I wasn't aware of the um, proton pump inhibitor connection. They, are, they do dysregulate immune function. Yeah, that's all I do all day is pretty much study toxins and how they cause various mm -hmm. health conditions and disease. And it's, it's amazing what I continue to uncover. Uh, but yeah, any, you know, is there any benefit or um, is there still issues, say with like Benadryl type medications that cause drowsiness? 
versus Zyrtec and Claritin that don't cause drowsiness? Um, do you warn against people taking those long-term as well? Well, look, it's on dealing with an illness by suppressing its symptoms rather than getting to the cause is never the desirable effect. Are there some patients, some people who are going to have a hard time weaning themselves from a suppressive medication? Sure. What are the risks? Well, with Claritin, which doesn't enter the brain, it's probably less than with Benadryl or Allegra or even Zyrtec, which can get into the brain. So let's talk about natural antihistamines. Um, I know that, you know, sometimes people, they have to take something to improve their symptoms because they can be really, really miserable. What are your recommendations for natural substances in, in nature that work as antihistamines? Right. Well, flavonoids are, the, are my favorite antihistamines. And the most potent of these and easiest to find in, uh, as a supplement is quercetin. So that's um, quercetin normally occurs in many of the foods that we eat, oats and apples. Um, it's found in oak, in oak trees. That's where its name comes from. Um, and um, there's a lot of research on quercetin. The main limiting factor is how well absorbed is it. it tends to be better absorbed with food than on an empty stomach, um, generally with a light meal uh, rather than a large meal. But I certainly recommend quercetin to people um, who are looking for a natural antihistamine. Uh, the other supplement that has really been helpful is an amino acid called N-acetylcysteine or NAC. That plus quercetin has had really a very nice um, antihistaminic effects in patients or allergy quenching effects. Because I don't think it's only, I don't think it's only the, the histamine blocking that these things do. They're very potent antioxidants. And as antioxidants, they help to quench allergic reactions. Interesting. I know bee um, pollen also has quercetin in it. I don't know if it's yes, it does. high enough levels to make a difference, but some people do seem to be helped with their allergies with bee pollen. Well, you know, with the thing with pollen is um, choosing the right pollen. If you have pollen allergies... <laughs> Not going to work. Eat, eat, no, might <laughs> well... <laughs> If you eat that pollen and don't breathe it in out of season, it may actually work. There's an amazing study because you see the gut has this ability to create allergic tolerance because of the Treg cells in the gut. So there was this great study done in Norway. Uh, there are a lot of birch trees in Norway and birch pollen allergy is a big problem there in the early spring, which is when birch trees pollinate. So, you know, like March and April. So um, these researchers did a study with birch pollen honey and they added extra birch pollen to it just to make sure it really had the birch pollen allergens in it. And they fed it to people during the fall and winter. And there was a 60% reduction in the symptoms of allergy mm. in season when the birch pollen was in the air. They didn't have them continue it in season. Now, birch pollen cross-reacts with a lot of different foods. So people who are allergic to birch pollen may have problems with apples and nuts um, and, a, and a wide variety of foods. I go through the list in the, um, in the allergy solution. 
foods that are ordinarily healthy and would be good for other people. Um, eating those foods, in, especially in birch pollen season, um, might cause a variety of symptoms. The most common would be an itchy throat. And so there may be, there's a rationale for eating those foods out of season and avoiding them in season to diminish the symptoms of allergy. Um, so, okay, but at any rate, and there may be other ingredients in pollen. Propolis, which is something that comes from bees that they use to glue their hives together, has immune boosting and anti-allergic effects. Uh, one of my, but there are two other things. Um, these are not real, well, one of them is a food, the other could be a food. Um, broccoli sprouts. There's this amazing study done at UCLA. And that's the thing, and I'm sure you have the same experience, Wendy. Uh, the great thing about really being a committed researcher and looking at the medical literature is you find really fascinating research that is being done in major medical centers throughout the world that nobody in mainstream medicine seems to know about. But the academic credentials that this research has is just as good as all of the drug research that's being done, maybe even better. So these UCLA researchers um, did an experiment with pollen allergy and diesel exhaust. Now, it's well known that if you're that if you have if you're exposed to diesel exhaust, that's pretty irritating. And in fact, diesel exhaust exposure increases the risk of asthma and allergic diseases. So they took people who had allergies and they first exposed them to diesel exhaust fumes in a chamber. And it was the level that you would get um, if you lived in L.A. and were standing under an overpass I bet on a, the, by a freeway. But the participants were very thankful for that. <laughs> yeah, right. And then, so of course, that was kind of annoying to, to the people to begin with, but I guess they were being paid for it. Then they exposed them to the um, pollens that they were allergic to. Well, the diesel exhaust really amped up the allergic reaction to the pollen. So then they started feeding them broccoli sprouts within three days. And the amount of broccoli sprouts that they were giving them was the equivalent of about eating six ounces of raw broccoli a day. Within three days, they were no longer being affected by the diesel exhaust. Their allergens had really calmed down. They, they could measure these changes in the secretions from their respiratory tract. Uh, it was an antioxidant and a detoxing effect, and it really calmed down uh, their allergic reactivity. Very interesting. Um, so broccoli sprouts, and you can get commercial broccoli sprout powder, um, which is organic. It's another anti-allergic food. Yeah, I actually, my favorites. I need to go out and get some of that right now because I'm in Los Angeles and I don't know what is going on with the smog, but myself and two of my friends I <clears> talked <throat> to were sneezing and having allergy symptoms and yeah. like, what is going on? Yeah, and you should, you guys should be living on this stuff. In <laughs> fact, in fact, I recently came across a study from China where there's humongous pollution and the broccoli sprouts were helpful in preventing, in protecting people from the effects of air pollution, even in China. Wow. Yeah, they can um, work there. They can work anywhere. <laughs> right, right. I would say that's that's like the <laughs> ultimate stress test, that in New Delhi. And, um, and then, um, and the other thing, 
or probiotics. And what really blew me away as I was doing the background research for the allergy solution is the large number of studies showing beneficial effects of probiotics for nasal allergies, allergic rhinitis. So I'm not even talking about food allergies, I'm talking about pollen allergies, dust allergy, dust mite allergy. So this is an effect on the immune system. Um, lactobacillus bacteria seem to have the best effect. And there's a particular species called lactobacillus paracasei, which was tested more than any of the others. It takes about three weeks of exposure and you start getting a protective effect. For, in some studies, it might've taken as long as eight weeks. And the exposure was, the, the improvement in allergic symptoms was not due to an antihistamine histamine effect. It was due to an effect on the immune system. It was the ability of these, um, of these probiotics to improve immune function in an anti-allergic fashion. And so, um, and of course, fermented foods can do that. If you, you know, if you don't want to take a pill, um, one of my favorite lactobacillus probiotics is lactobacillus plantarum. That's in sauerkraut. It gets its name because it grows naturally on plants. And so, you know, eat sauerkraut every day. Yeah, I've heard that, you know, I hosted the Medicinal Supplement Summit and I was interviewing someone on there, Jay Davidson, about uh, probiotics. And he suggested that you should rotate probiotics like every time if you take a supplement of probiotics get a new bottle every single time because we have you know you said a thousand species in our gut you don't want to be taking the same strains all the time uh, with the, the same brands good to rotation what are your thoughts on that um well uh, possibly i mean i i'm not gonna definitely endorse that because it the probiotic area and the whole microbiome area is really complicated. In fact, understanding gut microbes is, kind of, is sort of like rocket science meets quantum physics. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, because the interactions are tremendous. And sometimes there's one organism or one species that acts because of the way it impacts on the community of, of microbes. In other words, I, I call these Alexander microbes. And uh, I'm thinking about Alexander the Great. So Alexander the Great had a, you know, led an army that conquered, um, you know, the world from Sicily to Afghanistan uh, 2,300 years ago. Of course, he didn't do it by himself. It was the army that did it. But without Alexander, the army wouldn't have been able to do it. He was the leader that was needed for that to happen. There are microbes in your gut that act like Alexander. They organize the whole army of microbes. And it may be that a single species actually winds up being more important than we realize because that species is the one that is secreting substances that interact with other bacteria that create the biodiversity. And there was this another amazing, amazing study was done at UCSF. Um, it was done in mice, and I rarely quote m mice studies, but I happen to like this one. Um, they, what the scientists did was uh, they looked at the effect of dust on the allergic potential of mice. Now, it's well known that if you have 
a pet at home, especially a dog that goes outdoors. Indoor pets won't really do this. But outdoor pets, you have a decreased likelihood of allergy. So they collected the dust from a home in which there was a dog, an outdoor dog, and they fed it to a bunch of mice. And they collected the dust from a home that did not have a dog, and they fed it to the same um, breed of mice. And then they, they tried to see whether how easy it was to make these mice allergic. And they found that the mice that had been fed the dog dust were very resistant to developing allergy, whereas the mice that had been fed the um, normal, uh, the non-dog dust were easily made allergic. So then they, they housed the mice together. And, and because if you take, because mice will share their gut bacteria because of their feeding habits. And, and that was able to, the, the dog dust mice, if you want to call them that, were able to overcome the, um, the allergy potential of the other mice. When they started looking at the gut microbes of these mice, they found two things. One was that there was much greater microbial diversity as we'd expect in the uh, stool of the mice that had been eating the dog dust as part of their meals than the other mice. But there was one particular species called Lactobacillus johnsoni that kind of was the standout difference. So then they isolated the Lactobacillus johnsoni and they fed it to ordinary mice and it did exactly what the dog dust did. It encouraged increased diversity of the microbes and resistance to the development of allergy. So it is possible that there are specific species of bacteria that, that actually act like generals of the, of the bacterial population and organize everything in the way you want it organized. So, so merely having more species or more strains may not be what you need. Okay, very, very interesting. Thank you for explaining that. And so I have a question I'd like to ask all of my guests. What do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today? And I apologize for putting you on the spot. <laughs> um, um, I, I think it's the obesity <clears throat> epidemic and the diabetes epidemic that, I mean, it's having a devastating effect. You know, it started in the U.S., and it's a reflection of our eating habits, but it does involve gut bacteria and allergy as well. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. And, you know, and then it started spreading to Europe, to Asia, Latin America. Right now in Mexico, it's their major public health problem. In fact, it turns out that in, in other parts of the world, the people are genetically more susceptible to diabetes than than many people in the United States, so it's it's kind of galloping around the world, and it's getting more serious. I, I really think the future of the human race, aside from from um, other problems that are related to the environment, um, uh, is going to be very much impacted on whether we're able to get control of the obesity epidemic. Now, one of the things that's fascinating is the link between obesity and allergy. Obesity, first of all, let me say that, that obesity is definitely impacted by gut bacteria. And um, nobody has quite determined exactly what the 
um, the pattern of bacteria are that are necessary for um, for protecting against obesity. Because most of the most of the studies have been in mice, and humans are very different from mice in many ways. The natural diet of a mouse is a low-fat vegan diet, which is not necessarily the natural diet of the human. Humans tend to be omnivores, so. Um, so you, you can't necessarily extrapolate from what you find in a, find in a mouse to what you find, find in a human. But um, gut bacteria do have profound effects on um, metabolism and, the te- and inflammation and the tendency to gain weight. And it is in some way tied in to allergies as well. People who have allergic disorders are more likely to be overweight or to gain weight. People who are overweight to begin with are more likely to develop allergies. And the cells that are involved in allergy, in allergic reactions, that are which are called mast cells, those are the most primitive of the cells involved in allergy, those cells promote weight gain when they're activated. This research was done at Harvard. And um, and if you take a mouse and you deplete it of mast cells, it won't gain weight no matter what you feed it. Um, so there is something to do, there's some relationship between um, allergy, the activity of mast cells, and the tendency to gain weight, which makes the allergy epidemic and the obesity epidemic very much related to one another. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very interesting. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing that uh, that very unique perspective on the obesity epidemic. And I I think also it's a lot of the toxins in our environment that are obesogenic also. It's, just, it's such a multifactorial problem. Uh, that's the, why two-thirds of the United States is overweight. It's, it's very scary and, and saddening at the same time. So, Dr. Gallen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you tell the listeners more about where they can find you and where they can get your book? Well, The Allergy Solution is available, you know, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, many local bookstores. I have a website, drgalland.com. It's D-R-G-A-L-L-A-N-D.com. Uh, there's a lot of information there as well. There's a public television show called The Allergy Solution, which will be airing um, on some stations nationwide during March. Um, it's already played, shown about a thousand times in the U.S., and we've had great responses to it. And um, I practice medicine in New York City. I have an office down in Greenwich Village, an area that I love. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, and congratulations on the PBS special. That's fant- that's huge. That's great. Thanks. It was really a pleasure, pleasure talking to you today. And everyone, if you want to learn more about me, you can go to live2110.com. You can learn more about my detox and healing program at mineralpower.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast. 